I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God, we do once more ask for your presence here in this room. Father, we don't want to just hear your word. We want to be changed by it. We want you to work that word in our hearts. Please make it so at this time, we pray in your son's name. Amen. Please be seated. If you would, as always, grab your Bibles. I think it's great to have your scriptures open in front of you as we work through this passage. This is Ephesians chapter 4. We're looking at, uh, basically, we're going to be looking at verses 15 and 16. Uh, I read a little bit more than that, but if you have your Bibles, verses 15 and 16 in chapter Four of Ephesians. This is a continuation a little bit of what we looked at last week. If you were not here last week, I think the sermon and our message will stand on its own, so that should be okay. But if you were here from last week, you'll be able to connect some of the things in which we talked about last week with some of the stuff in which we're going to look at today. This is kind of setting us up for the next series in which we're going to start next week. Next week, we're going to enter into a sermon series on the churches that are discussed in Revelation. These are the first three chapters of the book of Revelation. We're going to be looking at the seven churches that are mentioned there and uh, identifying, I think, all too well with the fallacies of those churches as well as the blessings of those churches. And we'll be taking a look at that passage, that, those passages together in the upcoming weeks. So please join us for that. This kind of helps set that, the tone a little bit. Because uh, what we will be looking at is what the Spirit says to the churches. What, how does the Spirit direct the way in which the churches are to function in his name? But first we have to get a good handle on what the church is. And so last week and this week we've been looking at this famous passage of Paul in chapter 4 where he discusses the very nature of the church. That's kind of what we just read there, highlighted the very nature of the church. Now, how do you measure growth? How do you know when something is growing? Uh, specifically, how do you know when a body is growing? Uh, my parents uh, had uh, eight grandchildren in a period of five years, and so my father started a trick where every time we came home uh, with the kids, he would take the kids upstairs into uh, a room tucked away in the corner, and he'd line them up, and then he'd mark, of course, where how much they'd grown through the year. And so just a couple of weeks ago, I was up home and happened to look in that little room and saw the markings on the wall, on the wall as the kids grew up through the age. Our kids are, uh, grandkids are now in their uh, mid-20s and stuff, and so uh, they are uh, the, no, no longer growing in that sense, but you get to see the, the progression of their growth. It's really, really kind of remarkable. But it's easy to measure physical growth, academic growth. Uh, I know a lot of parents that will keep report cards of their kids as they go through the years. Uh, my wife and I are not 
that sentimental. We just threw it all away. Uh, but some people keep those things and kind of mark, uh, you know, the academic growth along those lines. But how do you mark growth uh, emotionally? Or how do you mark growth spiritually? As I said, the passage of Scripture that we're looking at today is kind of a continuation of what we looked at last week. And the opening six verses that I read kind of highlight that primary metaphor, that key metaphor that Paul uses whenever he is uh, talking about the church body. When he talks about the church body, when he talks about the church, he uses the metaphor of a living body. And he says, the living body is like the church in these ways. And then he talks about it. And the opening verses, the first six verses that we looked at last week, largely dealt with the idea of unity. If the body is not united, you can't function separated away from the body. And we talked a little bit about that, the ridiculousness of envisioning a part of the body separated away from the rest of the body. And how that just can't function, how that's... That's silly and ridiculous. And yet Paul doesn't pull away from that metaphor. Instead, he really leans into it. Uh, He talks about the body members talking smack against each other and saying, you know, you can't do that. The body doesn't do those kind of things. There has to be some type of a unity that holds the body together. Well, here, by the time we get to the end of this section, verses 15 and 16, Paul is no longer talking about that that crucial essence, that centrality of the unity of the body, now he's shifted a little bit and he's talking about a different characteristic of the body. What is that characteristic of the body? Well, I think we find it right off the bat in verse 15. So again, if your scriptures are available, uh, verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. Now, what, what does a body do? What does a body do? do? Uh, Well, one of the things that a body does is a body acts. A body has the capability of acting, of doing something. And and again, this is part of Paul's metaphor. This is part of Paul's interest. And I love the picture that we, the church, not not just Hebron, but okay, Hebron in, in parts, but then every congregation, but then the universal church as a whole, the church is Christ's body here upon this earth. And just like if I want to walk across the stage, I put one foot in front of the other, and so I walk across the stage, uh, my brain tells, my head tells my body, hey, let's go across. If Christ is to do something in this world, he's going to tell his body to do it. Just like the head tells the body to wave the arms and stuff like that, The head, Jesus Christ, tells the body how to minister in this world. What does it mean for the body to act? It's to do something in this world. Now, that's not the only way God functions in this world, and I don't want to minimize that. There are those people that would argue that if if the church doesn't act on God's behalf, God is impotent in this world. That's ridiculous. Scriptures don't bear that out at all. God very much so can work independently of the church. But he calls us his body for a reason. That we would do what the head tells us to do. That we would be the hands and the feet of Christ himself as he works to minister, act in this world. So the body acts. But a body also feels. If you smack your body or if you step on a nail or if you stub your toe or something along those lines, 
you know your body feels things. Your body immediately, you know, ouch, hey, that hurts, and those kind of things. The body of Christ feels. Now, what do we feel? We feel that which the head desires us to feel. Jesus Christ, with his love and compassion for the world, is supposed to be reflected in the way the body responds with love and compassion in the world. The way in which the body feels is supposed to be connected to the way the body is connected to the head, and therefore, we worship. Our worship is in large part an expression of our feelings towards the head. Our reaction towards God is the way in which we feel towards the Lord. So the body acts, the body feels. You can go on to a bunch of other things in which the body does but I want you to note the one that Paul highlights here in verse 15. What does a body do? Speaking the truth in love, we, the body, are to grow up into Christ. What is the body supposed to do? The body is supposed to grow. The body is supposed to grow. We've been very blessed in this congregation over the past, I don't know, year or so. Uh, we've had quite a number of young uh, babies born. Uh, and babies are wonderful. And I love babies like the next guy. And uh, one of my blessings, of my perks of my job is that I usually can barge my way into any room that has a newborn baby and get to hold the baby or pray for the baby or something along those lines. That's one of the joys that I get to have. Um, and uh, parents universally love their kids. I mean, that's kind of one of those things. And babies are eminently lovable. And they do nothing. You know, they eat, they poop, and they sleep. And that's all a baby does. And yet we love them. We're crazy about the babies for the, for, because what is their full-time job? To cry, to sleep, to poop, to eat. To grow. They are to grow. That's their primary job in life. And we are committed as parents to see that primary job fulfilled. Please think for a second, what would it be like? And of course, so many of us have contact and, and perhaps personal interaction, personal experience, where the body is not growing the way that it is supposed to and where something isn't right about the way that a body is growing in one of these beautiful little babies. And what do the parents do? What does the whole community do? We, we key in, we focus in, we pay extra attention to that one part, whatever that is. Our whole everything centers around how are we gonna care for this part of this baby that isn't growing. Did Adam have a navel? <laughs> Did he have a, a belly button? Now, if Adam was the model of all humanity, then, you know, we've all got him. Maybe he's got him. But a belly button is that which connects you to your mother. And, you know, Adam was made by God, fashioned by the dust of the earth, by, by God. So did he, have a, did he have a belly button? Okay. Uh, maybe not, because he was made by God and he doesn't have a belly button. Um, how old was Adam when he was born, when he was made? When I was in my 20s, 
I assumed that Adam was in his 20s. When I got a little older, I assumed that Adam was a little older. Now I assume that he's somewhere in his 50s. <laughs> you know, sooner or later. You know, God made Adam some way at some age, okay? But there was still growth that took place with Adam. How old is the body of Christ? How old is the church? Okay, now this particular congregation is 150, what, 175 years old or something like that. The universal church dates back to Christ's uh, resurrection or so, so 2,000 years old or something like that. Um, just like we expect every baby to be growing, Paul expects every church to be growing. Notice again what he says here, and it's a little covered, it's, it's, it's hard to see in the English translation here. We are to grow up. The, the word there is part of a purpose clause. It's part of an intentional clause. This is the, the expectation, Paul's expectation of the church. The church is to grow up. It's not a, a, a in doubt. It's not a possibility it is a focused intention of God's on his, and on his desire and in behalf that the church will grow up into Christ. The church is going to grow. This church is going to grow. Now, as always, when we read the scriptures, very often most of us read these things personally. We, we assume that Paul is talking to individuals and on some level he is. So how is it that you as an individual are to grow? Over the past year, we have used the phrase around the church here off and on, worship plus two. It is our understanding, leadership of the church understanding, that part of the way, a necessary part of the way in which believers grow is through worship plus two. Worship, participation, faithful participation in worship, is not just an act of love and devotion to God, it certainly is that, but it is also a means by which God changes and transforms us. Coming to worship each week, faithfully attending worship, is part of the way God will change you, grow you, mature you into Christ. Worship plus two, plus a, a, an educational piece, a, a study piece, a knowledge piece, a learning of the word piece. There is a, an intentional aspect. Now, it's easiest for people to recognize. I think if you spend time studying the scriptures, etc., we're going to grow in the Lord. Okay, that's an easier one to understand. Worship plus two. Worship plus growing study plus service. Our ministry, our hands-on with other people is part of the way in which we grow if you want to. Sorry. You will grow as a Christian when we're worshiping when we're studying, when we're serving. That's you as an individual, okay? What about us as a body? How does this congregation grow? I don't just mean by numbers, although that would be glorious. Please, Lord, make it so. Um, but I'm talking about a, a, an intimacy, a, a connectedness, a relationalness, a, a passion for our Lord. This congregation will grow through our worship, through our study, and through our service. It is the exact same way 
that you will grow as an individual and we will grow as a congregation. Which, of course, makes it very easy for you to check the health of our growing. How so? Because Paul goes on and he says, we are to grow up in every way. Do you see that in verse 15? We are to grow up in every way. Um, I don't know how, how familiar this is with people, but for almost a thousand years, an intentional part of Chinese culture um, uh, was foot binding. It, it was, a woman was considered beautiful. A woman was considered a, a, of higher status if she had wee tiny feet. Um, I, I, I'm, I don't know what went behind and what goes into uh, the development of that cultural image, but that's part of the cultural image uh, that existed really from around the 10th century until the 19th century um, in, in China. And so, particularly high-class, prominent uh, aristocrats, uh, et cetera, the higher uh, uh, status Chinese families, uh, would do a thing called foot binding to their children. At a certain age uh, with a young girl, they would break her feet, and then they would wrap the feet really tightly in, in, uh, in a, 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 a kind of a nest type of a thing, and wrap the feet in such a way so that the foot could, wouldn't grow, so the foot would stay small. Now, by the late 1800s, the practice had largely passed away, but there were still, but there are still um, some women uh, that had gone through foot binding, and I made the horrid mistake of looking this up on the internet, on Google. The images are horrific. It is gut-wrenching to somebody that isn't used to that culture that doesn't see that as something that's beautiful. All I saw was the, the horrid nature of not having part of the body grow alongside the rest of the part of the body. We are to grow in every way as a congregation. Do you know how horrific it is to realize that there are parts of this body that act like they're being bound tight and wrapped in such a way that they're not growing? Can you imagine what it is to look at each other and to think, oh my gosh, are we hindering the growth of one another? Are we acting like that binding, wrapping, holding down the development, the growth that God intends? And so having this horrific distortion it's impossible to see. We are to grow in every way, every member. And then for every individual, you are to grow in every way. Some folks like service, but they don't like study. But you have to grow in every way. Some people like worship and study but you just don't have any time to give of your energies outside. But you are supposed to grow in every way. Otherwise, the body of Christ is being distorted in this horrific, 
manner. This gross manner. We are to grow up in every way into Christ. We are supposed to grow up into the head. So I'm trying to picture how this, how this image works for Paul. So you've got the body and you've got the head. And then are there little tentacles that are weaving their way up trying to connect the head? I don't know. You, you overplay the metaphor. I guess it gets gross. Uh, we're supposed to grow up in every way into Christ. Notice there's a goal here. There's a focus. There's a target. This is not growth for growth's sake. Uh, you know, uh, there's lots of us that are growing in ways that we wish that we weren't, and, you know, our hair is growing in places that it shouldn't be, and stuff like that. There, but no, that's not just random growth that we're talking about here. We are talking about growth. We are to be growing in such a way that it leads us into Christ. Now, I've thought of two different ways in which this might mean. One, we're growing into Christ. That means that we are growing into a likeness of Jesus Christ. And of course, this fits very well with the rest of Paul's writings, with other parts in the scripture that tell us that every day, us as individuals, we are being transformed, shaped, molded, modeled more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. So we are to grow into Christ. That's the part of the target of what we're shooting for. Okay, I love that picture. That's really true. But I, building more onto the body imagery here, I think, the metaphor Paul's working with, we are to grow into Christ. That is, that we are supposed to have a deeper connection, a deeper intimacy, a deeper interwoven. Uh, one of my very best friend's son had a uh, disease, and they had to take his uh, liver out, and he had to have a liver transplant. And of course, this was uh, a young boy at that age, um, and uh, as a family and as friends, we walked them through this and the trauma of watching somebody go and all the fear and the doubt of all that. But once the transplant happened, everything wasn't hunky-dory. Once the transplant, hunky-dory, when was the last time you heard that? <laughs> I am so old. Uh, okay, uh, um, uh, you know, er everything wasn't wonderful just because he got the transplant. Because then the concern was that the body would reject the transplant and that there wouldn't be the, the right connections that were made and all this. And for years, and continuing now even into now, and it's been 10 years or so, um, uh, continuously the doctors are concerned that the body not reject the, the transplant, but that it integrate it, weave it functionally into the rest of the body. That's what's supposed to happen with you. You are a member of this body. And if this body is to function like it's supposed to, we need to, the rest of us, need to be working so that you are, do not feel rejected by the body, but rather that you are woven into the body, into the very function of the body, so that the body can work the way that it's supposed to. Now, the goal of growing, then, is in growing into Jesus Christ. Notice the process. This is fun only in that I spent much more time on this than what I would encourage anybody else. But how do we grow into, the pro grow into Christ? Look at the bottom of verse 16. We are to grow, uh, the body grows so that it builds itself up in love. It builds itself up. The body builds itself up. Now, 
the reason why this was remarkable for me because I couldn't get away from the presumption I had that it is Christ that builds the body. I wanted this passage to say, God will build up the body. Jesus will build up the body. I wanted the text to say that because other parts of the scripture make it very clear that that's the case. How will we grow as a body, both numerically and spiritually and in any other way? How are we supposed to grow in the body? We grow up through the work of Jesus Christ. Absolutely true. There's no doubt about that. But this passage actually says that we grow as a body when we together make ourselves grow. Paul's point here is not that Christ will make you grow, but that we make us grow. Again, thinking of that distorted foot or that distorted member of the body, that distortion that happens when something doesn't grow well, according to Paul here, it is we collectively that are to grow us into Christ. How do you measure that growth? Isn't it, it's a beautiful image. But how do we know if we have attained it? How do we know if we're moving in that right direction? I, 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 again, we are always going to be growing. I want Hebron Church to grow. I want us to grow in every possible way. How do we measure if it's happening or not? Look at the very beginning of verse 15. Can we get verse 15 back up there? Verse 15. Speak, thank you. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in Christ. What is the measuring stick of our growth? What is the measuring stick of your growth? Speaking the truth in love. Now, it's tempting to spend all kinds of time just talking about that. Because we innately have a sense of what it means. We must be truth speakers. We must do it with grace. Our life has to be seasoned with salt and yet full of grace and peace with one another. We all kind of get that sense. But here's your measuring stick. Here's what you put up against Hebron Church. Does Hebron Church speak the truth in love. And don't tell me that we're good at speaking the truth. Because that's not what we're supposed to do. Don't tell me that we're good at showing love. Because that's not what we're supposed to do. We have to be a body. We have to be individuals that speak the truth in love. And to fail to do that is a measure of the fact that we are failing to grow. And we become nothing but that distorted foot or that distorted member that is just withering on the body. What does it mean for us to speak the truth in love? Again, my guess is that most of you have some sense of what that looks like. It means not shying away from the difficult things that we have to do. It doesn't mean running away from hard conversations. It doesn't mean changing the truth to fit the times. It doesn't mean making sure everybody knows how right I am. 
It doesn't mean making sure that my point gets told and spread across the globe. It is a character trait that Hebron has to exhibit. It's a character trait that everyone here has to exhibit. For we all are to be growing. That's the dictate, that's the intention, that's the purpose of the church. That's your purpose as an individual, for us to grow, to mature in Jesus Christ. And the measure of that will be how well we speak the truth in love. Let's pray together. Lord God, as always, we are dependent upon you for your grace and your mercy to give direction and guidance leading for us, for it is so easy for us to be distorted, so easy for us to go in different directions, to see things our own way. Father, we do not want to do that. We want to grow as you direct us to grow, that we would mature as you direct us to mature, and that, Lord, that would be shown, that would be reflected and revealed in everything we do so that the whole world might see that we are mature in Christ, speaking the truth in love. Lord, make it so for us now and forevermore, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.